and uh, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we're always thankful to be brought together to come to your table, to your altar, to partake of whatever you have prepared for us. We ask this evening, Lord, that you remember all those we've mentioned in prayer, that you show everyone mercy as you see fit. Guide and direct us all. Allow us to understand the things that are going on in our life that are meant and are caused for our good, even if we don't see the end of that good happening immediately. Please, Lord, give us th lips of thanksgiving continually. Please bless the entire body of Christ because we know many don't mention their different trials and tribulations um, as well as even the blessings and, and the praise reports they have. But Lord, remember us all. Um, we're all just fleshly carnal beasts at, at the start and at the beginning. And as we progress, we just ask, Lord, that you allow us to continually die daily, that you bring us closer and closer to you each and every day, and that you increase in us as you do so, as we decrease ourselves. Please, Lord, bless this study. Um, please anoint it with your Holy Spirit, that it be all of you and none of anyone that's here, that it be to your glory, whatever's said and whatever's thought. And, Lord, that it just be used to better the mindsets of each and every one of us as we go about our daily lives and continue to press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling that you've given us. Allow us to run this race faithfully as you see fit, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned earlier, uh, welcome back to the study. It's going to be part 71 of the Awesome Hand series, but also Part B of the Judgments. Of course, um, last week we covered the judgments that were um, starting to be given to us after the Ten Commandments were laid out to us uh, in Exodus. So we're going to continue with the second part of the judgments um, that is that are laid out for us in Exodus 21. <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and get started on that. Of course, this Notes have been up for a while, so I'm sure there'll be some discussion afterwards for those that might have read them before. Um, but anyhow, we're going to, of course, start off with where we left off initially, uh, you know, at the end of the study last week, our last study, which was that uh, we covered what, in, in essence, equals the intents of the heart that were laid out in the judgments. And that was something, of course, I phrased, but then we, as we discussed it, there are that's how I was describing it, is what I'm getting at. But the, what we're talking about with slavery and murder in the first part of these judgments all relate to what the intent of your heart was. You know, if you intended to murder someone, you had premeditated that act, then there was a certain there was a certain penalty for that crime, which would be death. But if it so happened that you were quarreling with the person, and you started fighting, and you killed a person, because it says if the Lord gave him into your hands, in other words, the Lord caused that situation, but the person dies from their injuries, and there wasn't the same penalty. You could actually flee to a, a, a safe haven, that the Lord would point out um, later. It's not there in this study, um, or in this chapter, I should say. It's actually give those, those safe places were given later uh, in this chapter in Exodus. But there were six of them. You could go there, and the judges would hear the story, and then if you were guilty, you would have to pay the penalty. But if you were not guilty, you would actually give, be given asylum there. And you could um, take safety in that area because of what the Lord had done in your life. 
So we're going we're gonna to start off with that premise that there's an intent to the heart. And, of course, we know the Lord causes it all. I'm not trying to say that I myself have the intent in and of myself. We know the Lord cover, uh, covers all these things by telling us in the sum of the word that he is working it all. But yet and still, he still tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is he that does it. He is, it is he that wills it in our life. So it's it's not saying anything that's not scriptural. It's just that the focus as we read it is the intent of the heart. So we're going to apply that same idea to these next judgments we're going to read about in this chapter. Um, and they're going to basically, what's going to be covered tonight is going to be assaults and injuries that do not result in death, like I just mentioned. But also how they relate to a master with their slaves, how the master was able to act with the slaves, how they were able to punish them, if they went too far, so on and so forth. And also, even the Lord gives us guidelines and directions and judgments, laws, on how we are to treat our beasts. And these are all, of course, physical things that happen, but they have a significant spiritual uh, underlays or, or layers of the onion, spiritual applications we can draw away from them. So we'll hopefully cover a few of those. So Exodus 21.20, we left off at the you know at this point last week. Exodus 21.20-21 says, If a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. So, of course, we mentioned last week, Pretty obvious here from this statement in the King James translation that if you bought a slave, you had to pay for that slave. And the price of a slave was 30 shekels of silver, which actually turns out to be the same price that was paid for Christ. So, um, if if you if you smoke if you smite a, a slave and they died, you would have to you have to be punished for that. In other words, some translations say death that the, the master would be killed. But as we're going to see, there were different layers of this. But anyhow, <clears throat> this translation says punish. That's how I've just read it. But if you didn't, if you waited and the, the slave did not die, then you were, to be, you were not to be punished because the loss of the work that the slave could do because they're healing was enough to be the punishment for the master because they've just lost their money, essentially, for that period of time which makes sense. That's Even in our legal system today, at least in America, how it works is if you hurt someone and they, they're out of work for a bit of time, a lot of courts will issue the same type of judgment in that you have to pay that person for their lost time, their lost wages. And so it's equivalent in, in that sense of how a master, if they smoked their servant, had to, um, you know, just the only loss they had was that they were a loss for gaining money, whatever that slave could do for them at that during that period of time of their hurt. <clears throat> so, like many things that were before in the Law of Moses, there were many things that were given more consideration and judgment on on how the law, the Lord laid out His laws. Meaning, when I say it that way, all I'm really referring to is they were given more definition scripturally of what was going to mean this specific thing. Or, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of things specifically said about it. So there was, were some things that were so bluntly said that there's not a lot of misinterpretation 
of how they could apply, like thou shalt not kill. Pretty obvious, right? I know that's a commandment. I'm just giving an example. It's just laid out there. Yet and still, if you murder on an accident, you know, there were certain things that happened, right? So, just like, uh, and I'll give another example of this, and I have it here in these notes. Just like um, the law of Hammurabi, if a woman was treated badly in marriage, she could just be uh, discarded, you know. She could just be put away for any reason, and that was it. But And that was before the law of Moses. But now when the law of Moses comes along, there's a, a significant consideration given a judgment or a law to the wife, and we're going to read, we read some of those last time, we'll read a little bit tonight, but they, they now they're to be given a, a bill of divorcement, we don't read that tonight, but a bill of divorcement so that they could have something to go back and, and be free of the ill-treating husband that they had gotten in marriage with, so we're going to see that that also, that concept applies to slavery as well as to how a master could treat your slave. And again, there's going to be spiritual uh, applications we can apply to those things for us. So again, before the law, there were almost no laws that gave slaves any sort of rights if they were treated brutally by their masters. Just like I mentioned uh, at the end of one of the studies, I can't remember if it was the last study or the one before that, but you know, if the law, if, if God hadn't put in the Ten Commandments, for example, that you're to keep the Sabbath holy, it's a day of rest, we all know, just from human nature, that a, a, an evil boss, anyways, maybe not a good boss, that would treat their people properly, quote-unquote, um, but an evil boss would certainly work a person to death. You know, if a, if a person's willing to see people as their property, in other words, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but their slave was their property, they were their money, then they're not going to see really any thought in working their money to death, Right? I mean, it's just an obvious conclusion. We all know the hearts of men in, in that essence. There would be some people that would surely take advantage of that. So that's before the law of Moses, right? Well, the law of uh, commandments are given, and then you have this also to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, in the same way, we're going to see how in slavery, the masters had certain uh, guidelines they had to go by according to the law. Now, whether they went outside of this or not, of course, these laws were broken. That's what we know that to be true for all of us. We break the law. We're guilty of it. That doesn't mean everyone does. Um, Paul kept the law blameless right there. I'm sure there were others. I've done these things since my youth was told to Jesus. But you lack one thing. That is love. That's what Jesus responded. So there were people, I'm sure, that kept the law flawlessly in that sense, but they were still guilty of the law that were in the members, so on and so forth. Point being that now we have a bar being raised in the law of Moses and how they were being, how they would treat uh, certain things in their life like slavery before. So the, the law did not, uh, it did a lot to uh, ameliorate the slaves that were slaves under the law of Moses. It did a lot to give them rights, in other words. Um, they weren't very big rights, but they were some, there were some rights that were given, and we're going to read that. So if, a, if a, for example, we just read, if a master smoked a slave, they were to be punished. Well, if they, they did it and caused death, they would, they would die. If they recovered, they wouldn't be punished. But what if they poke out an eye or they bust out a tooth? 
the slave, we're going to read that in a moment, the slave was actually set free. That had never been, that had never happened before. So there's written in the law these stipulations that kind of, they, they really put boundaries on the master to an extent that the master couldn't continue um, doing certain activities or they would have to pay the penalty. So again, the, the spiritual significance of the lessons of smiting our servants is that we do not intend, again, the intentions of the heart to cause debt, but to give life. Um, but they do not intend so um, they do not intend to, to cause death, but to give life. The spiritual significance of the law, like, and what I mean with that is you have the law of Moses, which is for the lawless and disobedient, but there's a spirit behind the law. And that's what Jesus Christ himself kept. That's what he fulfilled. And he would always raise the bar on it because there's a spirit behind the law that can be used lawfully and that if the law says, and it's just an easy example, that's all, do not kill, and you don't kill, the spirit behind that law is what Christ came along, we covered that, right? And says, if you hate a brother, if you have, if you hate someone without a cause, you've murdered them already. So you have the spirit behind it. So that's what we're going to be focusing on primarily when we look at these things. But again, if we look at verse 19, you'll notice that any hurt that is not that is not a slave, any hurt that was not done to a slave, was to be, uh, let me read this again. You will notice that in any hurt that is not a slave, I wrote it wrong is why it's not sounding right, <laughs> uh, is to be repaid for his time lost because of the injury. Oh, any hurt not done to a slave. I see what I was trying to say there. If it was done to a slave, then the master didn't have to do anything. But if you did this to another person that wasn't your slave, you had to actually pay for that. You couldn't just get away with that. So that makes sense. Again, I gave the example of what's in our own uh, day and age now with the laws and so forth. <clears throat> so nothing is paid to a slave that is um, due to hurt because the owner's punishment itself was his money. I've already said that. So anyhow, um, as I mentioned last um, study, the law really emphasizes the intent of the heart. So let's take these examples from this, uh, the, the verses coming up and see what the intents were behind them. So Exodus 21, 22 through 25 says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burning for burning, wound for wound, strife for strife. And so this is obviously something a lot of Christians know about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? Everyone claims that everyone kind of knows this phrase, loosely even. Um, and this was, you know, something that was actually instituted before the law of Moses. Lots of cultures have this concept in play in their laws and how they treat each other. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm going to mete out judgment to you as, as I decide I need to repay it. In other words, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and a lot of times I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. So this isn't something new, right? But this is where it starts from, according to the law of Moses anyways. So we're going to see that, of course, Jesus rose the, the bar on this eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth idea. But the Lord in the law of Moses placed the greatest emphasis on it by actually having it being written in the law. 
And there's a reason for that. So in verses 22, which is where we started reading here, we're clearly being told that, for example, if two men fight and a woman gets in the way, which wives and girlfriends tend to like to do, you know, try to split up the fight or take the side of her man and try to intervene herself, and she's with the, uh, with the fetus and that fetus dies, there are two courses of action, and this is to bear out the idea that there's the intent of the heart that is being considered. Do, does the man that uh, hurts the woman intend to kill the fetus or not? And does the man intend to kill the woman? There's two different uh, penalties for that, essentially. <clears throat> so the, the, the two were, just in plain English, if the baby dies but the woman doesn't, the husband can determine the compensation that will be, that will be determined to be proper in the sight of the judges, or, or I should say. The, the husband would determine the judgment, the compensation, and then that also would be agreed upon in front of the judges. But if the woman dies too, then equal payment would be paid for whatever the loss was that happened. So, if the woman died, that someone's actually alive, you know, in front of you, not that the baby's not, that's not what I'm saying. hope no one tries to twist that around a bit. But if the person in front of you also dies, that being the mother, then that was a pretty grievous uh, injury, you know, because a, a woman can fall on her belly the wrong way, and that's going to end the pregnancy. But she wouldn't herself necessarily die, right? But if you injure that woman so that she and her fetus die, her baby, that's going to be a problem. That's, that's a pretty intense fight is what it comes down to or a pretty grievous accident in any way, in any way you shape it. Someone actually died. But this is where that we clearly see that the concept of eye for an eye and tooth, tooth is coming from. In other words, one was just compensation. You paid for that. However that was worked out, the husband says, my child's dead. I, desire, I, I, I demand a payment for that. So that, that would be agreed upon. But if you kill my wife, there's a life that's going to be given for a life, right? Because if you, th if you think about it in a basic practical way, you don't know for sure that that baby's going to come to fruition, right? You don't know if that pregnancy is going to go all the way through. Nothing can happen. And if that fight would have never happened, that's not a guarantee that baby's going to be born into the world. But that woman is here already. So if that happens and you take my wife from me, then it's going to be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that type of situation. So um, I read several commentaries on the, I just wanted to see what people said, you know, just to be able to compare it against what Scripture spiritually gives us as an example of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and how we're to spiritually apply this concept, <clears throat> if it's literal or if it's there's a deeper spiritual meaning. And, of course, you know there's a deeper spiritual meaning, but in order to give some contrast of what's said about this concept of eye for an eye and tooth for the tooth, uh, tooth for tooth, I read some commentaries, and honestly, I just think they're junk, a lot of them. Um, and I'm, that's, not down, you know, that's not downing the person that wrote it or the, the, the people giving the commentary, but they're just, according to Scripture anyways, there's no backing for them. They're just, even literally, there was, it was just all over the place. Let me give some examples of that real quickly. Most of the commentaries agreed that eye for an eye can't possibly mean what it says. 
You can't possibly mean, Lord, that an eye is for an eye and a tooth is for a tooth. And these are some of the reasons given. <clears throat> and one of the examples given was that uh, if there was a one-eye man, and a lot of them used the same example, right? There's a one-eye man, and he commits a crime that we're talking about here, and he causes another man's eye to die, to come out of the socket. It's just destroyed. It's blinded. Then that one-eye man, it would not be nearly as equal for that one-eye man to have to give up his eye, his only good eye, because this two-eye man lost one eye. So thus, the one-eyed man loses everything. He goes completely blind. But the two-eyed man, he loses only one eye, and he can still see. So the, the compensation for that couldn't possibly be what the Lord meant. So they give these examples, right, in the commentaries. But the, the Lord says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what the scripture says, right? So that's one example of if you actually obeyed the law and caused this injury, then we, we can't go by that. We have to actually make it say something it doesn't say. So that's why I called it rubbish or garbage. Because it's just like we all do. We take scripture when we're in our carnal-minded, fleshy-twisting way of doing things, not comparing line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and then, then twisting the scripture to want it to be what we want it to say. Because at the end of the day, if you take scripture as it is, and many of you have heard this argument before, your God in the Old Testament teaches slavery and woman abuse and eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You can't possibly believe that kind of garbage. That's a contention, you know, that people have with what's in the Old Testament. But I believe when the Lord instituted as the law, that's what he wanted it to be for a reason. But um, a lot of what we just, you know, that we've read and that we will read in a lot of these situations, they allow the person being wrong to determine the course of action, including compensation. We just read a few of those. And there's more to come. But it, the person being wrong was able to determine what they thought was compensation, and they couldn't go overboard, you know. They couldn't go crazy with it because you had to go to the judges, and the judges had to determine if it was right. So what really it comes down to is that the, the person being wronged is going to be able to determine the fate of the person. You could take all their wealth if it was something the judges agreed to with as well. And if you murdered somebody, there was even a compensation that could be made for your life. You could give up money to save your life. And so, but these were things that were going to be determined by the person. So I can understand somewhat where the commentary would say, can't possibly be that. Because, you know, if a two-eyed man lost one eye, and this one-eyed man is going to lose his eye as an eye-for-an-eye exchange, right? Then I could see where the, the two-eyed man might say, no, you know what? Pay me my wages, and I won't cause you to be blind. Yet, but if you don't, you're going to be blind. That was what the law could do. That's what they were, that's what was permissible under the law. So that could actually apply. Now, whether that would happen or not, you never know. But that was something that the person that was wronged could determine. So, <clears throat> if the Lord did not intend eye for an eye, for example then he would not have restated it in Leviticus. Just as a backup, sorry, my nose is itching. i got a little sinus thing going on. So anyways, um, if he did not mean eye for an eye, he would not have reinstated it in Leviticus. 
And if it also wasn't meant to be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, he wouldn't have uh, written it down so that Christ could then later say, but I say unto you. In other words, changing that meaning. So we're going to read these examples. If the Lord did not intend eye for an eye, for example, he wouldn't have written it here in Leviticus. I'm going to read it, 24, 17 through 22. And he that kills any man shall surely be put to death. And he that kills a beast shall make a good beast for beasts. If any man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done again to him. To him again. And he that kills a beast, he shall restore it. And he that kills a man, he shall be put to death. You shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger. As for your own country, for I am the Lord your God. So this was going to apply both to the stranger in your gate and to the people. It's clear. There's no reasoning or rationale to apply to it. Again, I've mentioned, just to clarify, that the person wrong could say, you know, compensate. But the law said... They could legally, that's what it's about, they could judge this situation to be eye for eye. That's what the law said. So another example witness of this is Jesus himself, like I just said, who said to the Pharisees and the scribes that they were hypocrites because they did not follow the law. What law would that be? The law we're talking about right now. And amongst them is eye for an eye. He used the example that they created their own tradition of men by making themselves feel better about bis disobeying the law that they were giving. In other words, they were going to feel something. It was their feelings that mattered. It made them so they made themselves feel better. And what do what example can I give? I read it before in another study. I don't know how far back. A couple studies. I'm going to give this because it plays in well with what we're talking about here. Matthew 15, 1 through 15:9. Then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? A tradition of men. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So he's not even going to talk about washing of the outside of the cup, right? He's going to, Jesus is going to turn around to the inside of the cup, which is where we're going to apply the concept that if God wrote down the law and said, eye for an eye, tooth of the tooth, I am the Lord your God, he meant that. And what the spiritual significance is for us is that when he says, I am the Lord your God, obey my voice, seek diligently to do them, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, when we take these spiritual concepts, we are to do them. Now, that is not to say that the Lord doesn't do them in us. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying our mindset is to say, Lord, I know I failed, I haven't brought in every thought into captivity to your obedience, to the mindset of Christ. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. Please show me mercy. I know to do right, yet in my members, you've created me this weak, fleshly, sinful beast. We're to have that mind. So, that's what we're really trying to get out of it. But continuing to read, here's what Jesus said. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curses father and mother... Let him die the death. So if you cursed your father and mother, that was in the law, you were to die. It was written that plainly. And Jesus is calling him out on it. Because he's saying, but you say, whosoever shall say to his father and mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou might make 
thou, uh, I should read this in a different translation. It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And what this is really saying is, uh, I can help you out, Mom and Dad, but this is a gift going to God. So I'm going to give it to the temple. I can't give it to you. I could help you, but I'm going to give it to the temple. Because they were to honor their father and mother. In other words, their father and mother were in need. And they were honoring them. Instead, they were going to say, no, 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 I'm going to take that. I'm going to be good to God. I'm going to look good on the outside of the cup. And I'm going to give what I can help you with to God. And honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So a commandment of men, for example, in the commentaries, if we're to believe them, is that eye for an eye can't possibly mean what it says. That one eye man can't lose his eye. Well, that's because we think it needs to be fair. It's not quite fair for a two-eyed man to lose one eye and a one-eyed man to lose both eyes, even though the law calls for it. Now, it, it, it probably sounds pretty cold as I'm describing it, because that's what your natural mind wants to bring it to, right? Man, you're going to cause this guy to be blind, but I say no. The Lord caused that man to do whatever the crime was to pay the penalty. And when we want to excuse the one-eyed man so he doesn't become completely blind, you're just saying to the Lord, I want to excuse myself, Lord. I want to step aside. I know I'm a sinning machine, yet it's just not fair. I, I don't really want your, your wrath to come down on my sin, sinful mindset, my carnal mind, my actions, my committing of sin, whatever it is. I want to step aside out of that wrath, Lord. I don't want that to happen. Now, please don't twist my words and say, I'm saying we're under wrath. I'm not saying that. Not not. We are at first, but we're not, we're under grace. But there's a process in all of this, right? So the point is, if you think the, uh, the one-eyed man, is, it's unfair that the law says he could lose his eye. I'm just going by what the commentaries say, you know. Then you're being foolish because you're trying to twist the word of God to say something it doesn't say when it clearly says what it says. But the spiritual significance of what is what Jesus just told us. This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth. In other words, they say, yeah, yeah, we want to be law keepers. We want to keep the law. We're good men. We, we keep the law from our youth. We're doing good, Lord. And the Lord says, look into yourself. You honor me with your lips, but your heart, and this is where the intent comes from, your heart is far from me. And that's where if you read Romans 7 and 8, it's clear. It's, it's, it's clear if you're given eyes to see and ears to hear it. That what Romans 7 is telling you is that sin dwells in you. It dwells in me. It dwells in everyone. But Romans 8 will tell you that where your mind should be is far from that sin. In other words, you know that it's sin. You know that it needs to be dealt with. You pray for it. You ask for it. You beg for it. And either the Lord will show you mercy and deliver you from you, or you'll still be in it until the Lord delivers you of it. But that's something we have to keep our mind focused on. It's been written about recently, and not directly um, in this, you know, pertaining to the study, of course, but keep your eyes focused on Jesus. In other words, keep your eyes focused on what the Word says. 
draw nigh with your heart unto God, not just your lips. And I, I understand, I've said it, I know many times now, it's not about what we do ourselves. But the Lord, have, have you not read scripture and been inspired by something you've read or been moved intensely by something the Lord's given you? And, it's, and the darkness has been revealed uh, as darkness and has been removed from your eyes. And you see some point or some scripture or some message and it just changes everything you've known for that particular moment in time or for that particular doctrine, for example. That's what I'm talking about. When you come to that point with that beast, that giant, that part of Babylon in you, that part of your carnal mind, and now you've been given that thing, keep your mind focused on it. Keep your heart focused on it. Don't only honor it and say, wow, Lord, that's great. But keep your heart focused on it. Because we're told, flee from the devil and he will flee from you. Now, you can believe that or not. But that's what he tells us. But that's still a process, right? So when we read these things we're reading in Exodus or applying the different things we're going to be learning, you know, from the examples of what's written in the law, keep in mind the Lord's doing it and he's doing it in us so that he can say, you know what, I, I told you back there, remember that? I'll, I'll bring you to remembrance. I did tell you that. You might have fallen and you had to get up and repeat the process. But there will be one day that I told you that you're going to arrive at this point where that particular giant is gone. It's done. You can move on. So that's what our message really is. So what, what we're to take away from these lessons, uh, from these judgments, as they're phrased here in Exodus, and these laws that are given in Exodus 21, is that we are all guilty of taking what the Lord tells us to do. We twist it to our own better version of that law or, or judgment, you know, because we can do it better than the Lord can. The creator of all things, we can do better than him. Why do we got to go through this judgment process of good and bad? Well, I just want the good. Have you ever noticed you just want the good? In other words, Lord, why couldn't you just get me good? That's what most people think. We all think it. We all think it, but most people stay there. Why couldn't we just stay good in the Garden of Eden? Why'd you have to bring on the the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. All the while, it's already in you. It's just hidden. It's in darkness. You're veiled in darkness and don't even. You're blind, miserable, and naked. Naked as a jaybird, don't know it. You're still naked. Adam and Eve were walking around naked as they could be and didn't know it. It was already there with them, right? So we all want the good and not the bad. But the process the Lord uses to tell us we all want to take the word of God. In other words, you and I want to take Jesus Christ and make him who we want him to be. Jesus would have did this. Jesus would have did that. Instead of looking at the man's actions and saying, what did he do following those steps? So that's what we're being told. That's what we're to learn from. We need to do what he says to do. And what, is it always words? Are they always, in other words, do we only go by what Jesus actually said and read that we read in the Bible? Jesus said this, do that. Jesus said do that over there. Is that all we go by or do we go by, the, by what the word of God teaches us, which would be Jesus? In other words, be doers of the word, not just the words that Joseph, Jesus spoke that are recorded. Because if we don't and we do what we want, we twist the word to be what we want it to be, then Jesus calls it all vanity. 
He called it there. Did you did you catch that? But in vain they do worship me. Jesus wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. But if we only worship in a way that we form this man, we take this gold that God has given us and we form this golden this golden statue or this golden beast or whatever we form with the gold of God's word, and we worship that, it's just vain. You're not worshiping the Lord, you're worshiping another Jesus. And he's called us, and he's told us, I will give you the gifts. I will give you the power. I will give you the ability to look into the word and to know whether what you believe is true or not. And how is he going to do that? You'll hear the voice of the true shepherd in others, as well as what God reveals to you himself. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be God revealing it anyways, whether others tell you it or not. It's all the revelation of Jesus Christ in you. So that's what we're to take away from all these types of uh, judgments that we're being given. So if you think I'm preaching something that is too harsh on those who have committed these vain actions, then you aren't really realizing, I've already made it clear, I think, that I'm speaking about myself when I say that all have participated in this vanity and all are guilty before the law, which is being a law unto yourselves. So I will prove with Jesus' own words, which we're about to read, that the very eye for an eye doctrine is actually what it means. And also, I'll prove the concept that we are a law unto ourselves, spiritually, that we do break the spiritual law of God at our given time by still doing what I've already said we do, which is follow what we want to do instead of what the, God, the Word of God tells us to do. So, which doctrine are we believing wholeheartedly? Is it the doctrine of the commandments of men? Uh, what we learn to be fair and just? Uh, what we believe to be fair and just in the world? What we believe to be fair and just actions that we take on others? Or are we doing what we do according to what Jesus says to do? And what we're told to do? Again, are we being doers of the word? I want to read uh, Matthew 5, 38 and 42. Because you say, Steve, you've presented the problem to me. You've shown me the error of my ways. What do we do about it? How do we handle it? How do we progress? How do we move forward? How do we increase daily? Or I should say, how does Christ increase in us daily? How do we decrease daily? How do we move forward? Matthew 5, 38-42. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. Well, whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law, take away thy coat, and let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, two miles. Give to him that asked you, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not you away. Turn not, turn, don't turn him away. So I know, and I feel naturally, myself, I feel this. I myself hear this in my, my own head churning and playing around in my, in my own thoughts. Just how unjust and unfair that seems, but I say unto you. And could you imagine the people that were hearing it when they were hearing it? No one's converted. What do you mean give this person a cloak? They're already warm enough with my coat. What do you mean? Walk with him a mile. Man, I'm taking my time and I'm going down there. Go to? What? That's crazy talk. You know, whatever we might be thinking. <clears throat> but, 
the I say unto you is the law of liberty. It's actually the law of freedom, which we're going to contrast now with the law of being slaves. Because if you notice, the law in Exodus that we're talking about, these judgments being passed out, are for the master and slave situation. Physically, right? Well, let's see how that works in the spirit. How, how it should work in our mind and our heart and the spirit. We are all now slaves, buried in baptism with Jesus Christ, and born into the life he would have us represent him in as ambassadors for him. After all, what is a coat or a cloak that I have on and someone else wants if it's not a coat or a cloak that the Lord himself has given me to give to that person? If I am buried with Jesus, what is the money I have in my pocket if it's not money the Lord's given me for the progress of this kingdom? And no, I'm not, I'm not petitioning a dime out of anybody. What is the roof on my head if it's not to provide a roof on someone else's head when they need it, in their time of need. That doesn't mean it goes on forever. You can, just like Jesus did, he only helped the people so much with their hunger in their belly. And then he cut it off. There is a time and place, there's a season for all things. But when that season comes upon you that someone needs that cloak, or someone needs you to help them carry their, their burden for a mile, you go too. Or if they need a coat, you give them a cloak. In other words, you go above and beyond what you would naturally do. What you would naturally begrudgingly do. You go above and beyond that. And then you'll know that you're being a doer of the word. That's how you live it out. It's, there's no guessing to it. I'll tell you right now, if you want to know how to live out the word of God, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which I'm just going to tell you, you're going to fail at a time, from time to time. We all do. But if you want to live it out, how you live it out is you do what I just said. You go above. That's the message from Jesus. You go above and beyond. Jesus says, it's not good enough just to love God, but love your neighbor. Because if you can't love your neighbor who's standing there that you see, you can't possibly love God. You see how that works? You see how that above and beyond went? So that's what the law is teaching us. We're to go above and beyond what the Lord has presented to us so that we know we're walking in the Spirit. And how do we know that? Because we're naturally going to have an inclination, man, that person has wronged me already. Why would I help them? And then when you have that, when you have that mindset, you know how you counter it? You say, I know I shouldn't think like that. Lord, I'm sorry. Show me mercy and help me go above and beyond what that person's need is. They need a coat. All right, here's my cloak too. <clears throat> so do we really believe that the Lord does all things after the counsel of his own will? And, our, and again, what is our reaction to that? Is the person in front of me that needs a, a, a bed under my roof there because the Lord's put him there? Or do I look at that person and say, you know what? You know what, you lazy bum? You need to be getting a job. I live this, by the way. I'm just saying. You need to get a job. You need to help yourself. Because you should be at a point where you can provide your own roof. Now, there comes a time for those things. But when someone's out in the rain and it's thunder and lightning and they're covering their head because the rain's pouring down them, you don't, you, you offer them a room or a bed or there's the floor, whatever you can do, right? And you go above and beyond that and you say, you know what? This was today. 
and there's going to be tomorrow. So you know what, tomorrow I'll give, I'll help you out tomorrow too. Maybe not the next day after that, but that's the point. You go above and beyond because we believe if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, that anything presented to us is there because the Lord wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That the Lord has placed that in front. He's looking right at you. He's presenting yourself to you in the eyes of that person that is in front of you. I hope that's clear. He's showing you yourself by that mirror that's right in front of you. However you treat that person, guess what you're doing? You're saying, I'm in Christ, right? I'm in Christ. Well, Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And if that person isn't in my body right now, the body of Christ, and if that person doesn't believe like I believe right now, does that excuse me from presenting to them the Christ? No, it doesn't. How else are they ever going to learn about it anyways if they don't see it in action? And that's the real, the real point of any of these laws is to raise the bar and to see how you are in your life now. So I've said many things about Jesus' walk on the earth um, and, how, and how Jesus' walk. I've said this so many times in, in many different studies. But if you look at what Jesus did as he walked physically on this earth, he, he always reacted to things, right? He always reacted to what the Father placed in front of him. And those reactions for, were for our benefit. In other words, they were for us to see and glean what the Lord would show us were the proper ways to act according to whatever was in front of Jesus. And they didn't even understand them most of the time. They didn't understand what was happening in front of them, just like the person you're going to be helping. They don't understand what's going on most of the time. They just see, well, that person's helping me. Or they see, well, you know, they should do that. They might think in their head, well, they might lift out their hand and say, I'm entitled to that, whatever it is. They, they may not realize that Jesus the Christ is in front of them, but they will. And our mindset is to know that Jesus is going to bring them to that point and, and not in such a way that we're going to say we want a reward, we've been good people, but to realize that if our purpose isn't for it to expand and to grow the kingdom of God in us and in others, then what is our purpose? Because I don't know a whole lot that I care about in this world as far as that, you know, fleshly, carnal-minded things go. My whole existence, Lord willing, for the rest of my days, should be focused on what the matters to the kingdom of God. Now, there's a whole lot that that entails. It's not just as simple as what it is to, for me to say that. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not stupid to that fact. I really am not. But that's what our focus should be. Whether we arrive to that each day, that's what our focus should be. So when considering the law that we're discussing here in Exodus, we must also take the same thought process and apply to what we truly glean spiritually from what we're being told. When the bar is being raised, we must simply accept that standard and we do we do it and, and we do it so that we obey our Father and so that we don't simply just pay lip service to what we're being told. So as we continue to read uh, here in Exodus, let's continue a couple more verses. We're going to see what the master, how that master was restricted by an eye for an eye. I've already said it, but Exodus 21, 26 to 27. And if a man smite the eye of a servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go for free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out the manservant's tooth or the maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for the tooth's sake. So there was a restriction placed on the master 
And I'm here to tell you that same application, uh, spiritual application, applies to us, that there's stipulations that are applied to us that we have to follow, and it's called the Word of God. It's laid out for us, and there's these restrictions that hold us hold us to the point where we're going to give an account for what we're going to react to in all these different situations I've kind of described. So we just read that an eye was to be repaid for an eye, but that is not the case in the relationship of a master and a slave. Hmm, kind of significant. What do I mean by that? If a master took out the eye of his slave or the tooth of his slave, that slave couldn't turn around and say, Master, I want your eye, I want your tooth. Not permissible. This only applied to people that weren't your slaves. Because if a person lost their tooth or an eye due to their master's uh, brutality, they let them go free. In other words, their contract was null and void. You're no longer my slave. I owned you, but I own you. That was a way to keep them in, in check, right? So we're being given clarification on those two types of situations. So again, likewise, and of a higher spiritual application to us, our master, Jesus Christ, and his master, God the Father, who are both our masters, they know the price that is being paid when we actually do what we are commanded to do, and he tells us that our freedom lies there. In other words, the Lord knows that we're not only going to give up a tooth, we're not only going to lose an eye, we're going to lose everything. He knows the price. He went through it. So we can't turn around to the Lord and say, you know why, you're making me lose my life. I need something from you. We don't get to say that. We don't get to say, Lord, I need an equivalent prize back from you. What he's going to say to us is, here's your freedom. And where's our freedom at? We are prisoners of Christ, but we are free in his liberty because we know why we serve him. You know, I talked last study about the, the servant who loved his master so much, and he loved his wife, and he loved his children, that he went through a ceremony where the, the, the master would take the slave to the, the, the judges, and in front of the judges on the doorpost, he would take a nail, a, a metal rod, uh, is what it was, and he would drive that through the ear of the, the slave and make a permanent mark. And that represented, and many Jewish commentaries say this, that it was that the slave was telling, the, telling everyone, for everyone to see, it was a permanent mark. Everyone would know that I am agreeing, that I am always diligently, I love my master so much, I'm always diligent going to listen to what he tells me to do, and I'm going to do it right away. I'm going to hear everything it was a significant event. It was, it was a formality to say, I'm going to hear everything my master says. That's how much I love him because he's that good to me. So that's the same thing. The Lord knows what uh, price we have to pay because he has to pay it. And he's causing us to go through it. He knows your pain and your anguish and your trial. But he also tells us in Scripture, count it dung. I know that seems cold. I'm not saying that your trials aren't trials. They are. But if you keep your focus right and you realize that you're a slave of Jesus Christ, you're going to realize that if you keep your focus right, you're going, your freedom lies in that. Your true freedom, sure you could be free and you could say, Lord, you know what, this is too hard. You took my eye out. Just an example, right? 
You took something from me. My life is crap right now. I don't like it. I don't like what you're doing to me and my family. I just want I want be recon, I want recompense for that. I want compensated. He said, I don't want to go any further. And the Lord's going to say, all right, you can go free. You can have your life back. You can have your carnal life. But you're really in death. You're already a slave to death. You're going to be right back to where you started. Except now there is no repentance that you can have in this life when you have that mindset. But if you realize that what the Lord really wants to tell you is that the, your freedom is in me and you'll have your reward because of that. A hundredfold in this life, but also what is not even to be is not even worthy to be compared in the next life, then as we keep our focus we'll realize what the Lord has done for us. We'll love him because of it. And that's where we get that strength from when we read the word of God and see what that's about. And see it in others. So <clears throat> I'm actually running short on time. I think I can finish it off. Exodus, uh, this is continuing. This applies to the beasts. If they gore a man or a woman. So I'll just finish this up. I think i got seven minutes here. Because we start to study late due to talking and such before. Exodus 21, 21, 28 through 31 says, If an ox gore a man or a woman that they died, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall be not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. Quiet. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and he had been testified to his owner, and he had not kept him in, but that he has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall also be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for a ransom of it for his life, whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment, shall be done to him. So these laws were put into place to show us just how much the Lord cares about the life of a son, the life of a son of man, not, not regarding gender here, but the life of a, of a human. Uh, it may seem like uh, the Lord doesn't care about the life of a human over a beast, but he certainly does. So if an ox killed a man or a woman, the beast was to be put to death, and it wasn't even to be eaten. That's how the Lord saw this flesh. It was corrupt at that point. In other words, it was a complete loss to the owner of the beast, right? That's how much the Lord values the life of a human, right? So, there, of course, there's a spiritual significance to that. But I'm going to continue reading here, so... We'll get to that point. However, if the owner of the beast was neglectful himself of the life of a fellow man by ignoring that his ox um, was was given to goring things, you know, and pushing things with his horns, it was the, the same penalty as murdering that person. It was death. So the only exception is that that was uh, that that was not like murder, and I mentioned this earlier, is that. It was likened to murder if you didn't take care and you knew your animal was negligent. You could die from that. But this was the exception, that you had the penalty of death likened to murder, but you could actually give a, a, a ransom for your life in the form of compensation. <clears throat> so, again, it was the same done to a, a male or female. But if it was done to a slave, then the price of the slave must be paid. You didn't. It didn't. It didn't call for the price of murder. In other words, uh, of the price of death, is what it comes down to. 
if it was done to a slave. If the ox shall push a man servant or a maid servant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Exodus twenty one thirty two. So thirty shekels of silver is what was paid to betray Jesus, and it is interesting to note that the spiritual type of an ox stoned for the penalty of murder is that we as natural beasts with the old man in us will have the stone fall on us too. I want to finish the study up with this. It's, it's a really um, neat parallel, I think. Matthew 21, 42. Now remember, the ox was to be stoned, right? If it, if it committed this pushing or killing of a human. 21, 42 to 44, Matthew. Jesus said unto him, Do you ever, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to power. Another witness, Luke twenty seventeen to 2018. And he held them and said, What is this then that is written, that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the Gospel of Mark actually links the act of murder with the stone falling on us. And how does that link? A spiritual link. Uh, Mark 12, 6-11. Having you therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him and the inheritance shall be ours. They wanted to kill the heir, right? It's a parable. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He shall come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this, this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Most people could probably read that and say, what do you mean? It's Falling on him and crushing him into power. How could that be good? And he tore down the temple. That's what we were given by God. How could that be good? What is marvelous in our eyes is that the eye for an eye applies directly to these verses we just read. The spiritual significance of that concept. The penalty or killing of the son of the Lord of the vineyard is death for death. The reason given that the husband wanted to kill the son well, so that the inheritance shall be ours. Spiritually speaking, the old man represented by the husbandman does not gain the inheritance, but the death resulting from the old man's actions, that'd be the old man in us. The death that results from those actions produces life in the new man represented by unto others, because unto others was the vineyard given. And those others had nothing to gain, uh, or who had no gain from the vineyard except that they were given to it. In other words, what I was trying to say there is that they had nothing they did to gain that vineyard. It was just given to them. So the death that was caused by these men, these husbandmen taking and killing the heir of the vineyard is the result of the new man getting life, being given to others. And that's speaking about the, the kingdom of God. Anytime you see these parables, it's about the old and the new man, right? It's about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So it is all about the death of the Son, which gives inheritance to others. This indeed is a marvelous mystery, 
which is the Lord's doing. We just read that. So there are always two men being talked about in the entire Bible, and of course it's the old man, new man that's mentioned there. And in the next study, we're going to cover chapter 22 uh, and the judgments contained in it concerning thievery, um, seduction, bestiality, witchcraft, worshiping of false gods, and oppression. And I hope you'll be with me as the Lord permits you to be. Uh, and if not, Lord willing, it'll be recorded, as they all are. So I'm going to go ahead and stop this study. Thank you for all.